Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlotte Gonomo and I'm very happy to be back with you once again to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox Radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Meron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, question for the priest, readings from spiritual books, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ερεάς Μητροπόλεως Νέας Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Access Radio 106,1 FM η οποία γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας Κύριος Κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλη την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας, από την οποία εύχομαι όλοι μας να οφειλεθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας, όπως κάνουμε κάθε εβδομάδα, με την προσευχή Βασιλεύ Ουράνιε. Βασιλεύ Ουράνιε, παράκλητε, το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταγού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, έλθε και σκήνωσον εν ημίν και καθάρισον ημάς από πάσης κυλίδος και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O gracious one. 
Let's spend some time now talking about important church events as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes whom we commemorate either today or will do so during the week to come. Today is the Sunday of Orthodoxy and we will hear about this later in the program from Father Bavlos. We will also have Fathers Melateos and Thaddeos speaking to us about confession given that we are now in the period of Great Lent. I will speak about St. Nikolai Vilimirovich, Bishop of Ochrid and Zecha. As we've said previously, the reason we talk about important church events and our saints is so that we learn from these and apply these learnings to our everyday lives, essentially to give us the courage and the strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. Let's now speak about St. Nikolai Vilimirovich, Bishop of Ochrid and Zecha. Bishop Nikolai was born in 1880 to pious peasant farmers and was the eldest of nine children. As a child, he often accompanied his mother on the three-mile walk to a local monastery for services, and it was her teachings and saintly example, as he himself later acknowledged, that laid the foundation for his spiritual development. He was sickly as a baby and never developed a robust constitution, so failed the physical requirements to enter the military. With his superior intellectual abilities, however, he was accepted to the seminary of St. Sava in Belgrade even before having finished school. After graduating in 1905, he was chosen to pursue further study abroad, where he received doctorates from the University of Bern in Switzerland and Oxford in England. Returning home, he became very sick with dysentery, but vowed that if the Lord made him well, he would devote the rest of his life to the Lord's service. And so it was that later that year he was tonsured at Rakovica Monastery and also ordained to the priesthood that same day. He spent the following year studying in Russia in preparation for teaching at the seminary in Belgrade. In addition to teaching courses in philosophy, logic, history and foreign languages, he became fluent in seven languages. He produced an anthology of homilies that, whilst expressing profound thoughts, were stated very simply so they could be read by all. With the outbreak of the First World War, he was sent on a diplomatic mission to England, where he successfully pleaded the cause of the embattled Serbs. He then took his mission to America, where he enlisted the aid not only of immigrant Serbs, but also of thousands of Croats and Slovenes. This trip was also significant for him, for in a dream he received a message from an angel of the Lord, who revealed to him that he would someday return to America and help organize the young Serbian Orthodox communities into an American Serbian diocese totally united with the diocese in the motherland. Returning home to Serbia in 1919, 
he became involved in the formation of the new Yugoslav state as the interpreter for the president. Yet, he felt that there was something missing in his life. He wanted to be involved with his suffering people more on a daily basis. The fulfilment of this yearning came quickly, and in 1919, the Holy Synod of the Serbian Orthodox Church selected him, at the age of only 39, as the new Bishop of Zika. Because the war had caused great physical and emotional damage in Serbia, he applied himself energetically to the work of restoration. He taught religion, helped the poor, established orphanages, and led a popular spiritual revivalist movement which encouraged prayer, the reading of the Bible, and frequent confession and communion. This contributed to a revival of monasticism and many monasteries and convents were restored and reopened, which had the effect of reinvigorating the spiritual life of the Serbian people. Later that year, Bishop Nikolai was transferred to the diocese of Okrid and Vitola. This was done to facilitate the union of the Serbian and Macedonian churches, which occurred as a result of the formation of the Kingdom of Yugoslavia. Bishop Nikolai's gifts were also recognized abroad, and he was invited again to America, where, in just six months, he delivered more than 100 lectures, raised funds for his orphanages, and laid the groundwork for the organization of the Serbian Orthodox Church in America. He returned six years later in the, at the invitation of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, the American Yugoslav Society, and the Institute of Politics. After speaking and preaching for three months in various churches and universities, he returned to Serbia, stopping briefly in England, where he spoke prophetically about what he already saw as the ripening conditions for another great war. On the 6th of April, 1941, German troops poured into Yugoslavia, and the government soon capitulated. Around 750,000 men, women and children were massacred, among whom were many priests, monks and nuns, while thousands more were sent to death camps in Germany. As an outspoken critic of the Nazis, Bishop Nikolai was arrested in 1941 and confined in a monastery until 1944 when he was sent, together with Patriarch Gavrilo, to the infamous death camp at Dachau. There he witnessed unspeakable horrors and was himself tortured before the camp was liberated by American troops in May 1945. Meanwhile, the communist Marshal Tito was consolidating his power in Yugoslavia, crushing or intimidating his opposition and persecuting the church. As much as Bishop Nikolai wanted to return to his homeland, he knew that if he did, he would be silenced, and he decided, as did thousands of other Serb refugees, to remain abroad in order that he might more effectively continue to serve his people. So he arrived in America in 1946. In spite of health problems, which were the result of his ordeals in the camp, 
he resumed an active schedule, travelling extensively, lecturing, teaching and writing. He spent three years teaching at St. Sava's Seminary in Libertyville, Illinois, before settling in 1951 at St. Tijon's Monastery and Seminary in Pennsylvania. By this stage, he was over 70 years old, but he continued to work. He taught at the seminary, becoming dean and then rector. He was a guest lecturer at the Holy Trinity Monastery sorry, at the Holy Trinity Monastery and at St. Vladimir Seminary in New York. He became the spiritual father of many, many people. Many turned to him for spiritual counsel. Priests and monks, merchants, officers, soldiers, workers and peasants, old and new, Serbs and Russians, all who had any kind of spiritual problem whether personal or relating to the nation as a whole. Out of this came a spiritual treasury over 300 missionary letters. Although these are addressed to specific individuals and contain answers to specific questions, they are of universal and lasting value. When St. Nikolai retired at night, it was time to write and to pray. Prayer was his constant companion in life, and it is fitting that when he died, he was found in his room in an attitude of prayer. St. Nikolai was a great intercessor before God for his people. His spirit of prayer was so powerful that it often threw him to his knees weeping. He prayed everywhere, in church, at home, on the road, in prison, and in the shadow of German bayonets. Prayerful and clairvoyant, filled with an evangelical love to the point of forgetting himself, Saint Nikolai was a true father and pastor to his flock. In one of his writings about the Serbian people, he pleads with God, saying, The leaders of the people are misleading them. What will you do with them, O my Lord? They are leading the people astray for their own profit. They do not teach the people truth, but feed them lies the year round. They are incapable of doing justice. So instead, they intimidate the people by scaring them with a worse injustice of times past. They pillage for themselves and their friends. What will you do with them, O Lord? They have done everything themselves. I have nothing to do but to leave them to themselves. They will see their homes in flames and will flee their own land, hungry and sickly. They will see foreigners in their land and will beg them for a piece of bread. They will hear their names being cursed and will not dare to show their faces. Bishop Nikolai left a legacy of writings and is honoured among the great writers of the Church. His four-volume Prologue of Ohrid is already considered a spiritual classic. In fact, one Serbian hierarch declared that the only two books one needs to digest and put into practice to obtain salvation are the Bible and the Prologue of Ohrid. St. Nikolai found time not only to write and chant, but also to act, and his life was indeed full of activity. In his two dioceses, 
Ochred, Vidal, and Zika, everything was renewed, regenerated, and developed. As it was with the holy apostles, he both had nothing and possessed everything. Much wealth came into his hands only to pass right through them, to where there was misfortune, tears, orphans. He kept nothing for himself. Among these trials, he never became discouraged. He never wavered in his belief in the final victory of the good. At the end of his life, he was able to boldly repeat the words of the apostle, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. No discussion about St. Nikolai is complete without mention of his humility. Even though he was a world-class scholar, and an internationally recognized statesman, exceptional orator, prolific writer and gifted spiritual leader, and he at the same time preserved a childlike innocence and simplicity. One of the most useful pieces of advice that Bishop Nikolai received for his own spiritual life came from an Athenite elder. In response to his question, Tell me, Father, what is your speak chief spiritual exercise? The elder replied, The perfect visualization of God's presence. The bishop later related this to others, adding, Ever since I tried this visualization of God's presence, and as little as I succeeded, it helped me enormously to prevent me from sinning in freedom and from despairing in prison. St. Nikolai reposed on the 5th of March in 1956, and Christians from all over the world gathered for his funeral at St. Sava's Serbian Orthodox Cathedral in New York. He was buried at St. Sava's Monastery in Libertyville, next to the Monastery Church. Bishop Nikolai, however, had always expressed the desire to be buried in his homeland, and 25 years later, on the 27th of April in 1991, his relics were transferred to the monastery of Hededni to a spot long reserved for him beside the grave of his blessed disciple, Archimandriti Justin Popovich, who had described his teacher as the 13th Apostle, the 5th Evangelist. As St. John Maximovich relates in his tribute, written two years after Bishop Nikolai's repose, the young Vilimirovich, while growing in body, grew all the more in spirit. As a sponge soaks up water, so he absorbed learning. A biography of Bishop Nikolai Vilimirovich, published in Belgrade in 1986, is entitled Novi Zlatuts, or a new Chrysostom. May we all have St. Nikolai's intercessions on our behalf. If you've just joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio Programme on Wellington's Access Radio, 106.1 FM. I'm Carlotte Economo and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programmes at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. 
Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for Question for the Priest, and Father Meladios, priest, monk and abbot from our monastery in Levin, will answer the question, What is Confession?, given that, as I said at the beginning of the program, we are now in the period of Lent, and it is very important to emphasize the significance of confession for us all. Confession is one of the holy mysteries of the Orthodox Church. It is also known as the holy mystery of repentance. It is not merely a conversation with a priest, but a sacred act in which we reveal our sins to Christ with a priest as a witness and we promise to fight our sins by willingly receiving spiritual advice and obediently accepting whatever epithemion our spiritual Father gives us. Also, we receive the forgiveness of God by the prayer of the Church, read by the priest. In the sacrament of baptism, we are mystically yet in reality joined to Christ and to His living body, the Church, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit working in the baptismal waters. In Christ's own words, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, in our everyday life, even after baptism, we continue to reject God's gift of life and His values in so many ways, as we come to terms with this fact and see how often we miss the mark. We understand that sin still has a hold over us and places a barrier between ourselves and God. If we say that we have no sin, writes St. John, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The sacrament of confession then becomes for us the way by which we renew the salvific act of baptism in our lives and allows the healing power of God to restore the broken relationship between us and Him caused by our sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know from the Acts of the Apostles and the history of the early Church that the Holy Apostles ordained bishops and priests to take their place and to have the authority which Christ bestowed on His Apostles to proclaim God's forgiveness on the one who was truly repented and confessed openly, as we can read in the Gospel according to John. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. There is no such thing as a private sin. Even our innermost thoughts ultimately have an impact on the way we behave and relate to others and God. It was understood by the Church from the earliest times that the only way to reconcile as once again with God and with those who we have hurt, either directly or indirectly, was to have a public confession of sin. And so, St. Jacob was right in his epistle, Confess your trespasses to one another. In this way, sin is exposed and uprooted, and it's not allowed to spread either within the life of the individual or the church, like a spiritual cancer silently eating away at whatever is good and healthy. When we reveal our sins, it destroys our pride and humbles us. It also gives us a great sense of cleansing and release, the freedom to make a fresh start. In the early church, confession was made before the whole congregation, but over the centuries, the priest remained the sole witness of the Church, before whom we make our confession to Christ. How we should prepare for confession? The sacrament itself 
is the final act in a process of self-examination and repentance before God. It cannot be done mechanically and without any spiritual preparation, for we can only be forgiven for those things which we truly seek to put behind us. Before we go to confession, we need to spend some time alone in prayer and reflection so that we can come to terms not only with our actions, but with who we are and what we are becoming. In silence, we must ask God to reveal to us those things in our life which have become a barrier to our relationship with Him. If it is our first confession, it is a good idea to look over our whole life so far and note down on a piece of paper those major incidents over the years for which we feel guilty or which in some way still occupy our conscience. Then we will look over our more recent life, the last few months, weeks and days, more closely. As a guide to prompt us, it is good to read the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus and our Lord's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5-7. to These passages act as a spiritual mirror in which we can see a reflection of our inner self. In this way we can make sure that actually say everything we need, intend and avoid skipping those sins which may cause us most embarrassment or shame. What happens at confession? Every priest may conduct confession slightly differently, but generally the priest, wearing an epitrahelion or stole, will say an introductory prayer and then invite us to sit facing an icon of Christ and make our confession. Sometimes the priest may ask questions to prompt us or to clarify a point, but generally we should approach the meeting as we would a visit to the doctor. We come to describe to the priest our sins, which are the symptoms of our spiritual disease, as honestly and as openly as we can, so that he can pray to God for our forgiveness, and also advise us as to how to tackle and overcome these sins in everyday life. Our confession, therefore, has to be clear without excuses and without discussion of the sins of others. We must trust that God knows all of our circumstances and that He will excuse us if we need be. We have to take to Him and ask forgiveness for the inaccessible part which is the sin. At the end of our confession, the priest may advise us and sometimes give us an epithemio, which is not a punishment, rather a medicine, to help eradicate sin from our life. He will then ask us to kneel while he places the epitrahelion over our head and reads the prayer of forgiveness, encouraging us to be confident in God's mercy and love for us. For every Orthodox Christian, a heartfelt confession is an opportunity to cleanse our inner life and to make a new beginning in our relationship with God, an opportunity to enter once again into the life and joy of God's kingdom. Κύριε και δέσποτα τη ζωή μου, πνεύμα αργίας, περιεργίας, φιλαρχίας και αργολογίας, μη μη Πνεύμα δε σοφροσύνης, ταπεινοφροσύνης, υπομονής και αγάπης, χάρισέ μη το σώδουλο. Ναι, Κύριε Βασιλεύ, Δόρισε μη του οράντα εμάπτεσματα και μη κατακρίνην των αδελφών μου ότι ευλογητός ή εις τους αιώνας των αιώνων. Αμήν. Λόγια.
Lord and Master of my life, take from me the spirit of sloth, faint-heartedness, last of power and idle talk. But rather the spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love to We've just listened to Saint Ephraim of Syria's Lenten prayer in both Greek and English. This is a prayer that we should say every day during Great Lent. It's now time for Father Thaddeus to speak to us and, as I said at the start of the program, he will speak to us about confession, but in Greek. Αγαπητοί μου Χριστιανοί, χαίρετε Κύριο. Με τη χάρη του Αγίου Θεού είμαστε και πάλι σήμερα μαζί, Κυριακή της Ορθοδοξίας. Σε προηγούμενες εκπομπές μιλήσαμε για τον ρόλο της Εκκλησίας, την μετάνοια, την συγχωρητικότητα και την νηστεία, αρετές οι οποίες είναι απαραίτητες για να φτάσουμε στο μυστήριο της εξομολογήσεως. Νομίζω λοιπόν πως σήμερα είναι η κατάλληλη στιγμή να πούμε δύο λόγια με τη βοήθεια του Θεού για αυτό το μεγάλο υποχρεωτικό και ένα από τα 7 μυστήρια της Αγίας μας Ορθοδόξης Εκκλησίας, το γνωστό σε πολλούς από εμάς, της μετανοίας και εξομολογήσεως μυστήριων. Ονομάζεται έτσι διότι δεν αρκεί μόνο η μετάνοια ή μόνο η εξομολόγηση για την άφηση των αμαρτιών μας, αλλά και τα δύο μαζί. Για να δούμε λοιπόν γιατί είναι υποχρεωτική η εξομολόγηση, πότε καθιερώθηκε και από ποιον. Ας πάμε να δούμε τι μας λέει η Καινή Διαθήκη στο καταμάρκον Ευαγγέλιο. Εγένετο Ιωάννης βαπτίζων εν τη ερήμο και κηρύσσον βάπτισμα μετανοίας εις άφηση αμαρτιών. Και εξεπορεύεται προς αυτόν πάσα η Ιουδαία χώρα και η Ιεροσολυμίτε και βαπτίζονται πάντες εν το Ιορδάνη ποταμό υπ' αυτού εξομολογούμενοι τα σαμαρτίας αυτών. Εδώ βλέπουμε καθαρά τρία απαραίτητα στοιχεία που χρειαζόμαστε για την σωτηρία μας. Θα ξαναδιαβάσω το κείμενο πιο προσεκτικά για να εντοπίσουμε αυτά τα τρία στοιχεία. Εγένετο Ιωάννης βαπτίζων εν τη ερήμο. Εδώ βλέπουμε το πρώτο στοιχείο που είναι η βάπτιση, για την οποία θα μιλήσουμε σε άλλη εκπομπή. Και κυρίσον βάπτισμα μετανοίας εις άφησιν αμαρτιών. Εδώ βλέπουμε το δεύτερο στοιχείο που είναι η μετάνοια. Και εξεπορεύεται προς αυτόν πάσα η ουδέα χώρα και η Ιεροσολυμίτε 
και βαπτίζοντο πάντες εν το Ιορδάνη ποταμό υπαυτού, εξομολογούμενοι τα σαμαρτίας αυτών. Εδώ βλέπουμε και το τρίτο στοιχείο που είναι η εξομολόγηση. Άρα η εξομολόγηση δεν είναι κάτι καινούριο που ανακάλυψαν οι παπάδες στην εποχή μας, ούτε κάτι που εφεύρισαν οι Άγιοι Πατέρες της Εκκλησίας μας λίγους αιώνες πριν, αλλά προέρχεται από την εποχή του Τιμίου Προδρόμου και συνεπώς του Χριστού μας. Για να δούμε τι λέει ο ίδιος ο Κύριος μας στους μαθητές του για την εξομολόγηση στην πρώτη του συνάντηση την ημέρα της Αναστάσεώς του. Είπε νουν αυτής ο Ιησούς πάλιν, ειρήνη ημίν, καθώς απέσταλκέ με ο πατήρ, καγώ πέμπω ημάς. Και τούτο υπόν ενεφίσε και λέγει αυτής, λάβετε πνεύμα Άγιον, αν την ον τα σαμαρτίας, αφίενται αυτής, αν την ον κρατείτε και κράτηντε. Δεν νομίζω αδελφοί μου να υπάρχει κάποιος που μπορεί να το αφισβητήσει αυτό, είναι ξεκάθαρο. Τι τους λέει, ειρήνη σε εσάς, καθώς με έχει αποστείλει ο πατήρ και εγώ στέλνω εσάς. Και όταν είπε αυτό, φύσηξε πάνω τους και τους λέει, λάβετε πνεύμα Άγιο. Αν σε κάποιος αφήσει τις αμαρτίες, έχουν αφαιθεί σε αυτούς. Αν σε κάποιος τις κρατάτε, έχουν κρατηθεί. Οπότε τι βλέπουμε εδώ, ο ίδιος ο Κυριός μας, ο έχων πάσα εξουσία εν ουρανό και πηγής, δίνει την εξουσία του δεσμήν και λύην αμαρτίες στους μαθητές του και όπως είναι φυσικό, οι μαθητές του στους μετέπειτα αποστολικούς πατέρες, μιας και θα έφευγαν από αυτή την ζωή σαν άνθρωποι που ήταν και στη συνέχεια μέχρι και τις ημέρες μας στους έχοντας την ιεροσύνη του Χριστού αρχιερείς, οι οποίοι λόγω του μεγάλου αριθμού πιστών εκ των πραγμάτων δίνουν την εξουσία του δεσμήν και λύην αμαρτίες μέσω ειδική ευχής και με ένα ενταλτήριο γράμμα σε συγκεκριμένους μόνον ιερείς, τους λεγόμενους πνευματικούς. Από αυτό γίνεται φανερή η Θεία Ίδρυση του Μυστηρίου της Εξομολογήσεως από τον ίδιο τον Χριστό μας. Στην αρχαία Εκκλησία το Μυστήριο της Εξομολογήσεως γινόταν ενώπιον των πιστών κατά το παράδειγμα των Αποστόλων όπως το διαβάζουμε στις πράξεις τους. Πολίτε των πεπιστευκότων ήρχοντο εξομολογούμενοι και αναγγέλλονται στας πράξεις αυτών. Και σε πιο απλή γλώσσα, πολλοί από αυτούς που είχαν πιστέψει έρχονταν και εξομολογούνταν και ανάγγελαν τις πράξεις τους. Βέβαια αυτός ο τύπος εξομολόγησης για ευνόητους λόγους δεν κράτησε για πολλά χρόνια και θεώρησαν οι Άγιοι Πατέρες της Εκκλησίας μας πως έπρεπε να αλλάξει σε μυστική εξομολόγηση όπως και έγινε και ισχύει μέχρι και σήμερα. Ένας από τους μεταρρυθμιστές αυτής της τακτικής ήταν και ο Μέγας Βασίλειος ο οποίος την κατέστησε τακτική και υποχρεωτική και την επεξέτεινε και στα μικρότερα αμαρτήματα αυτά των λογισμών. Σε άλλη εκπομπή θα μιλήσουμε πιο αναλυτικά για το πώς πρέπει να πηγαίνουμε και τι να λέμε στην εξομολόγηση. Το πόσο σοβαρό είναι να εξομολογούμαστε τους λογισμούς μας και ότι από αυτούς ξεκινάει η αμαρτία ακόμη και αν δεν την έχουμε κάνει πράξη. Θα δούμε τι λένε οι Άγιοι της Εκκλησίας μας για αυτό το μυστήριο και οτιδήποτε άλλο χρειαστεί για να κάνουμε σαφές το πόσο ανάγκη έχουμε την εξομολόγηση. Ναι αδελφοί μου. Όπως χρειαζόμαστε τους γιατρούς του σώματος, έτσι και περισσότερο χρειαζόμαστε τους γιατρούς της ψυχής. Όπως για ένα μικρό πονοκέφαλο παίρνουμε ασπιρίνες και παναντόλ, που αυτό αμέσως δείχνει ότι έχουμε ανάγκη από τη βοήθεια της φαρμακευτικής ιατρικής και δεν λέμε «Ε, δεν πειράζει, θα περάσει, σιγά, ένας απλός πονοκέφαλος είναι». Το ίδιο ανάγκη έχουμε όταν μας βαραίνει κάτι στην ψυχή, έστω και μικρό, από τα πνευματικά φάρμακα που θα τα προμηθευτούμε από την Εκκλησία. Όπω πολλέ φορέ πονάμε υπερβολικά και τρέχουμε στο νοσοκομείο για ιατρικέ εξετάσει, που αυτό μπορεί να σημαίνει και χειρουργείο, το ίδιο και περισσότερο πρέπει να κάνουμε όταν μα βαραίνουν πολλά στην ψυχή και θα πρέπει να τρέξουμε στο πνευματικό νοσοκομείο που λέγεται Εκκλησία και να ζητήσουμε την θεραπεία μα από του γιατρού τη, του ιερεί. Να μπούμε στο εξομολογητήριο, 
στο πνευματικό χειρουργείο και να εμπιστευτούμε την σωτηρία της ψυχής μας στον πνευματικό χειρούργο, εφόσον είναι ο ίδιος θεραπευμένος και έμπειρος γνώστης της εξομολογητικής επιστήμης, ο οποίος θα μας δώσει τις κατάλληλες κατευθύνσεις και την πνευματική συνταγή για την θεραπεία της πονεμένης μας ψυχής. Βέβαια πρέπει να το πούμε και αυτό, υπάρχουν άνθρωποι οι οποίοι για τον παραμικρό πονοκέφαλο και την παραμικρή αδιαθεσία δεν δίνουν σημασία και γίνονται οι ίδιοι οι ιατροί του εαυτού τους με αποτέλεσμα να επιδεινωθεί η κατάστασή τους και να έρθει ο σωματικός θάνατος. Και αυτό μπορεί να συμβεί από ένα μικρό εγκεφαλικό ή και από ένα μικρόβιο που δεν είναι ορατό από το ανθρώπινο μάτι αλλά ορατό από ένα ιατρικό μικροσκόπιο. Βλέπετε ποια είναι η κατάληξη του ανθρώπου όταν γίνεται ιατρός του εαυτού του. Το ίδιο συμβαίνει και με εμάς τους Ορθοδόξους που γινόμαστε πνευματικοί ιατροί του εαυτού μας και αντί να πάμε στο θεραπευτήριο των ψυχών που λέγεται Ορθόδοξη Εκκλησία προτιμούμε να εξομολογούμαστε μπροστά στις εικόνες λες και οι εικόνες θα μας δώσουν άφηση αμαρτιών ή νομίζοντας πως αν κάνουμε κάποια καλά έργα για να μην μιλήσω για περιπτώσεις ανθρώπων που κάνουν διάφορα τάματα και ούτω καθεξής θα συγχωρεθούμε με αποτέλεσμα να έρθει ο πνευματικός θάνατος που είναι χειρότερος του πρώτου. Δυστυχώς αδελφοί μου, ο διάβολος πολλές φορές την χάνει να είναι πιο έξυπνος και πονηρός από πολλούς από εμάς και να μας ρίχνει πολύ εύκολα στις παγίδες του. Είναι πραγματικά μεγάλη δυστυχία να έχουμε την συνταγή για την θεραπεία και σωτρία της ψυχής μας 20 ολόκληρους αιώνες, την οποία ακολούθησαν όλοι οι Άγιοι και οι ίδιοι βέβαια είναι η απόδειξη ότι η αληθινή θεραπεία βρίσκεται μόνο στην Ορθόδοξη Εκκλησία αφού φτάσανε στον αγιασμό της ψυχής και του σώματος με τα άφθαρτα σώματα που τιμούμε και προσκυνούμε αλλά και τα προσωπικά τους ρούχα ή αντικείμενα. Είναι πράγματι μεγάλη δυστυχία με μια τέτοια παράδοση αγίων ανδρών και γυναικών να αρνούμαστε και να απαξιώνουμε το μέγα μυστήριο της μετανοίας και εξομολογήσεως είτε παρασυρώμενοι από τις άλλες δίθεν εκκλησίες οι οποίες έχουν καταργήσει και ισοπεδώσει τα πάντα ώστε στο τέλος να μην έχουν καμία σχέση με τον Χριστό και την διδασκαλία του, είτε επειδή έχουμε φτιάξει το δικό μας Ευαγγέλιο κομμένο και ραμμένο στα μέτρα μας και το ερμηνεύουμε ανάλογα με το συμφέρον μας. Αλλήμονό μας αδελφοί, ο Χριστός μας ταπεινώθηκε και έγινε άνθρωπος, αλλά εμείς δεν θέλουμε να ταπεινωθούμε. Ο Χριστός μας νίστεψε, αλλά εμείς δεν νηστεύουμε. Ο Χριστός μας έκλαψε για τον θάνατο του φίλου του Λαζάρου, αλλά εμείς δεν κλαίμε για τον πνευματικό μας θάνατο. Ο Χριστός μας μαστιγώθηκε, αν και αναμάρτητος, αλλά εμείς δεν θέλουμε να πονέσουμε από τα πνευματικά μαστιγώματα του πνευματικού μας ιατρού επάνω στη ρίζα των παθών. Ο Χριστός μας σταυρώθηκε και έχει το Πανάγιο νέμα του πάνω στο σταυρό, αλλά εμείς προτιμούμε να σταυρώνουμε τους άλλους και τον ίδιο ξανά και ξανά, διότι η ταπείνωση είναι άγνωστη λέξη για μας. Κατά τα άλλα, είμαστε Ορθόδοξοι Χριστιανοί. Δεν θα πω περισσότερα αδελφοί μου, θα συνεχίσουμε την επόμενη εβδομάδα πρώτο Θεός, Έως τότε, καλή συνέχεια της Μεγάλης Τεσσαρακοστής, ευχόμενος σε όλους μας καλή φώτιση και καλή μετάνοια. Κατευθυνθήτων η προσευχή μου ως θυμίωμα
Κύριε και κράξα προς εισάκουσον μου, εισάκουσον μου Κύριε, Κύριε και κράξα προς εισάκουσον μου, πρόσχες τη φωνή της δεήσεως μου, εν το και κραγένε με προσέ. Κατευθυνθήτων η προσευχή
We've just listened to the beautiful Lenten hymn, Let My Prayer Rise, which is chanted at the Liturgy of the Pre-Sanctified Gifts, which we have throughout the period of Great Lent. Today's Gospel reading is from John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. At that time, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I'd like to welcome Father Bavlos now, who's going to explain today's gospel to us. And of course, as he does every week, this is over the phone. Thank you, Father Bavlo. To all you, the beloved listeners of the radio program of the Sacred Metropolis of New Zealand, greetings. This is again Father Paul Patitas, Father Pablos Patitas, que esas milao apodó telefónicos veos y a tin ortodoximas pisti que querigmata o el piso na ejonaenia stis zoisas. Hoping that through this ministry of our Sacred Metropolis, you will find some benefit to your spiritual life. Tutti ti kireki yortazme ti kireki ti sorfoloxias. Pui ne polisi mantiki merve veosiati oposleme stin glosamas iarchi dihni totelos. This Sunday we are celebrating the Sunday of Orthodoxy, and it is a significant day because, as you know, in the Greek language we often say the beginning indicates the ending. In other words, if you have a good beginning, then hopefully you'll have also a good ending. Or if the beginning is about some theme, then the, that ending will have a similar theme. And what, of course, is the theme or the focus of the Sunday of Orthodoxy? Well, it is that God become man, became man to restore the image of man that he had created. Let me repeat that. God became man to restore the image of man that he had himself had created. O Theos egine anthropos yana anastili tin ikona tu anthropu, tu anthropini ikona, o idios anthropos poekane o Theos. Ke afto ene poli simantiko, ya afto omos eklisia yortazi ke tin anastilisi ton ikonon. Ήτανε μια φορά και έναν καιρό στην Ορθοδοξία μας μια μάχη εναντίον της εικόνας. Και, και οι άνθρωποι που ήταν στην Εκκλησία 
είπαν ότι δεν πρέπει να έχουμε εικόνες γιατί γίνονται σαν είδωλα, έτσι είπανε. Αλλά οι Ορθόδοξοι είπαν όχι, δεν είναι έτσι. Οι εικόνες δεν, δεν, τη λατρεύουμε, δεν λατρεύουμε τις εικόνες, δίνουμε τιμή στην εικόνα γιατί δείχνει έναν άνθρωπο που έχουμε μεγάλο σεβασμό. Δηλαδή δείχνει τον Χριστό που, έχουμε, που αυτόν τον λατρεύουμε βεβαίως γιατί είναι Θεός και άνθρωπος ο Χριστός μας και δείχνουμε σεβασμό στη Παναγία, στους Αγίους και βεβαίως και στις γιορτές της Εκκλησίας. We are venerating those images and icons because they indicate to us Christ and the Virgin Mary and of course the Feast of the Church. And we don't worship those images but rather we honor them we honor them with our veneration. Of course, we can say that we offer worship to Christ, but even with the icon of Christ, we don't worship it, but we offer veneration to that image, hoping that our worship goes to Christ himself. And that is really the purpose of each icon. But why do we celebrate this in the Orthodoxy? Because during this period of the Church's history, there was a period of the Church's history from the 720s to the 830s, or approximately, there was a, a battle against icons in the church, and the Christians were asked to remove their icons. But after much discussion and much debate, what was the final conclusion? The final conclusion is that we have to have icons. Not that we can have icons, it would be nice to have icons. We must have icons, because the icons are for us a witness to the fact that God became man. Now that's a pretty important thing. And what we mean by that is that God took on human flesh. He became someone whom we can touch, someone whom we can see, someone whom we can hear, someone who can touch us. And the icon preserves that connection to the incarnation of Christ because the icon is something we can touch, it's something we can see, it's something we can feel. Now, of course, it's not something that we can hear, although there have been stories of people hearing voices through an icon. But generally, that doesn't happen to most of us because we, aren't very, we don't have the holiness to have that kind of experience happen regularly. But it does happen. And God uses these icons to be a further witness to his incarnation. And that's why the Church said it's not just a good idea to have icons. It's an, a necessity because it's only in this way that we can remember as human beings that God became man. And the Church says that not only are the icons in paint icons, but even those things which are written in words. So the hymns of the Church, the theology of the Church, even the Holy Scripture, are icons which point us back to the Savior. Now, the icon, by its true definition, is an image that leads us back to the prototype. By honoring these images, we are connected to the prototype, which is God himself, God incarnate in the flesh, our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I said earlier that we celebrate this wonderful feast because God came to restore the human image which had fallen. Each one of us is made in the image and likeness of God. We are his icons. When we venerate the icons, we see how much God wants to elevate the human being, to lift him up to a very high height, so that human beings can be holy, can become 
even children of God. Now, God intends that for us as well. So, His incarnation made that possible. And now you see why it is the veneration of the icons is so helpful, because it reminds us that God came to restore our image too. O Theos δεν θέλει να αφήσει τον άνθρωπο στην αμαρτία. Θέλει να, να σηκώσει τον άνθρωπο και να αγιάσει τον άνθρωπο. Και αυτό βεβαίως είναι η αιτία που η Εκκλησία αναστήλει τις εικόνες. Γιατί θέλει κάθε άνθρωπο να βλέπει την εικόνα ας πούμε της Παναγίας και να ξέρει ότι ένας άνθρωπος έγινε τόσο κοντά στο Θεό που να είναι επωράνιος άνθρωπος. Και να βλέπουμε την εικόνα, ας πούμε, του Αγίου Ονοφρίου, ο του Αγίου Παύλου, ο της Αγίας Θέκλας, ή της Αγίας Εκατερίνης. Και να ξέρουμε ότι τέτοιες γυναίκες και τέτοιους ανθρώπους έγιναν τόσο κοντά στο Θεό. Ο Θεός ανέστηλε τις εικόνες της ανθρωπότητας. We see in God that he lifted up the image of each human being. We especially see that in the lives of the saints. God wants to lift up your image too. Are you trapped and bound by sin? Do you find yourself frustrated that you can't seem to do the good thing but only repeat the evil and evil patterns of your past? Come to church. Bow your head before the icon of Christ, especially before the icon of His crucifixion, before the icon of His Holy Mother. And there pour out your soul and ask forgiveness. And call on the priest to read you the prayer of forgiveness so that your image can be lifted up too. And you can leave behind the dark sins of your past. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it's always our privilege to speak to you about issues of faith. We are asking always for your prayers and support as well. Thank you, dear listener, and may God bless you as you begin this sacred journey, which we call Great and Holy Land. As we're nearing the end of our time together today, we'd like to thank you for listening again to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM, and we hope that you'll join us again next Sunday. I'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them and a special thanks today to Fathers Pavlos, Meletheos and Thaddeos. We'd like to wish all a blessed Lent and pray that this will be a time of repentance and enlightenment for us all. Let's finish off with a hymn about the Sunday of Orthodoxy. Oh, <laughs>
program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.